Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and we are back from D23, and we are ready to talk a little bit more about this crazy teaser trailer analysis for The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and last time we talked, we just saw the trailer from memory and we were just it's weird to call it a trailer jj abrams isn't calling it a trailer but it's really a trailer let's be honest Um, yeah i tend to think of it as like a cross between a saga trailer and a teaser it like lives somewhere in the middle there in my opinion yeah, for sure. Um, but last time we talked, we were working from memory, and I don't know, we definitely forgot some things. Oh yeah, we we got to get into it before we. But before we do, if you're listening to this before Labor Day weekend, Caitlin and I are going to Dragon Con, and we will be on two panels, one on Saturday, that is the animation panel, and Caitlin is actually moderating that. I'll be recording both of these, so hopefully I'll get that up on the feed shortly after. Um, and then the Rise of Skywalker speculation panel on Sunday. So if you're going to Dragon Con, definitely check out the Star Wars track for more information about where to find us and everything because we'll be at those panels and we're really excited. We will be. Um, I've never moderated before, so I'm a little nervous, but you're going to do it's, great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a panel all about Dave Filoni and the Colossus. And <laughs> I, I was making the PowerPoint last night for it and I – sent it to Charlotte and I was like somehow I've managed to put in two pictures of the Colossus <laughs> because it's important guys it's important <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm excited for that yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun I'm excited to try my hand at moderating I think it'll be fun and we've got a lot of great people that we're gonna be talking with on both the animation panel and the speculation panel so if you are in Atlanta for Dragon Con Come and find us. And if you've never been to Dragon Con before, come to Dragon Con. It's so much fun. We love it. It is super fun. But I know that everyone just wants to hear us talk about the trailer. So I think we should just I dive in. I hear us talk about the trailer. I do too, because I just, I don't know. Since it came out on Monday, we're recording this on Wednesday. I've just been see- seeing so many fan reactions and everything. And I just like, I want to get my hand in it when we possibly can, just because. We talked about it before, but it was like from such a non-concrete way. <laughs> so <laughs> we we miss things. There are other things we have to dive deeper into. And like we've kind of marinated on Dark Ray for a little bit more, you know? Yeah. Let's marinate some more on her. Yes. I knew you were gonna make fun of me for saying that. But it's, it's like true. such a you it's such a you word choice. Like marinade. <laughs> But it's true, though. Like, when when these trailers come out, you have your reaction, and then you have, like, it's settling, and you decide how you feel about it. You decide your favorite parts, and you kind of start thinking about all the different ways it's going to fit into the story. I don't know. I'm just excited. So this isn't going to be a three-part episode. I think that Caitlin and I just have kind of outlined the things that we want to cover and the things we haven't talked about or things we want to talk about in more depth. So... Sorry for no three parts, but we'll try to be as organized as possible. Sounds good. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? All right. Welcome to the one and only part of this Sky Talkers episode (laughs) where we have basically gone through all of the things we either forgot or didn't talk enough about in our initial uh, teaser trailer speculation episode from D23. And I think the best place to start off is obviously the Red String of Fate. (laughs) 
<laughs> this has come up so much on Twitter recently. And I love and it. And I, I love it too. It's something I didn't notice in the first round of watching it only once in a theater where we couldn't talk to anyone after mm-hmm. <laughs> for two hours. Um <laughs> At D23, I just didn't recognize it. I didn't notice it. It was so fast. I was overwhelmed. Um, But it's so, like, super cool that after kind of a year plus of talking about the red string of fate, this is a popular Raylo fan theory um, that has come up a lot. Not just a Raylo fan theory. Ryan Johnson has literally tweeted pictures of red thread in a thread (laughs) and then deleted them. So... Caitlin, do you want to give like a brief synopsis for people who are, who are unaware and this could be their first time listening to us, what the Red String of Fate is? Yes, I would love to, Charlotte. Thank you. Um, so the Red String of Fate is taken predominantly from Asian folklore and traditional storytelling. And basically it is the story of – or it's the – I guess the myth or the, the legend that two soulmates are connected by a literal red string of fate. And um, it's usually tied – I think traditionally it's tied to their pinkies and it's like that's the person you're destined for and no matter how much the string tangles or knots, um, it can never be broken and you're forever literally tied to that person. And there are a lot of different stories um, throughout history that kind of talk about the red string of fate. And it definitely comes up a lot in imagery and symbolism when we get into more modern storytelling. And I think the the example that we talk the most about here on the show is the Japanese film Your Name, which we've talked about a few times. Uh, you know, you mentioned that Ryan Johnson tweeted out uh, pictures of red thread. It's note- noteworthy that J.J. Abrams is now owns the rights to make a live action of the film Your Name, which um, relies very heavily on the red string of fate. And what I think is interesting is that in your name, the red string of fate between the two characters is represented as a bracelet, um, like a red thread bracelet that they each wear and trade back and forth amongst each other. And I think it's so interesting that we see Ray with a very similar type of red bracelet or red, like scrap of fabric, really, is what it is, tied around her wrist. Mm-hmm. And uh, once people started pointing it out, my first thought was, oh my God, what if Kylo has one, two? <laughs> it would be so great. But but the thing is, is that we also talked about this. We've talked about it in in response to the Kintsugi helmet as well with that Mm -hmm. color of red. So even if he doesn't have one as well, he also has this red thread almost running through this like cracked helmet already. So it's interesting because they say it's on on her wrist, but I think it's more on her hand. And it's interesting to think about like what happened, where in the movie is this, why does she even have this? And if it is like a cut, or some sort of uh, wound. It's interesting to think about it in light of the Kintsugi conversation that Caitlin has a whole meta on, on our website, skytalkers.com. It's interesting to think about if she got hurt there and is covering it up. Like, wounds are often, like, we think about, like, the scar that looks like two hands. Is this another scar that's symbolic? Um, I think about that roomy quote that's to let light in. That, you know, scars are where lit, you know, cracks. Uh, what am I saying? What is the it's quote? It's like the crack remember? is where the light enters. Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I wonder, you know, what happened here. And clearly it's not back to 
so what's going on here? And you have to recognize the red string of fate of, of this. Yeah, I think we discussed often the symbolism of the color red. And like you said, it is obviously a big part of our Kintsugi theory um, that is so prevalent for Kylo himself moving in. But yeah, I think that it falls right in line with Rey in this instance too. And it just visually connects them even more, even if, like you said, Kylo doesn't necessarily have a similar like bracelet or a scrap of fabric or something like that, or even like if he gives it to Ray, like if they're wounded, if she's wounded together, like when she's with him and he like gives it to her for her hand or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if that comes from him or is at all like she gets it while she's with him or something like that. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. Be really good. I I just when I noticed that in the second round of watching, it was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I can't believe this is actually happening. <laughs> because I think the red string of fate was something that we talked about a lot with The Last Jedi. And it was something that we just saw throughout that film and something that Ryan pushed, like we said. I don't think I really thought that it would come up again, even symbolically in The Last uh, in the Rise of Skywalker, just because I kind of thought that that was Ryan's own thing, mm-hmm. you know? And here it is again. Yeah. What is that? I will that? say we, we don't see as much red in obviously this teaser trailer that we saw from a lot of the Last Jedi promo. So I think it is going to stay mm. that. Ooh, I totally disagree. Sith Troopers, red okay, lightsaber. Yeah. It is. Okay, red yes. is everywhere. But we discussed um, – in at D23 that well at least I think that the colors that we're seeing predominantly more are like neutral beiges and sand colors with pops of color and then like very dark blues and like blacks for me that's the overwhelming color you're right there are definitely pops of red um, and we're obviously seeing the importance of the symbolism of red but for me the overwhelming colors are our Pasana backdrop and then like our Palpatine rain Death Star darkness backdrop i guess we'll see i mean i think that's true but i am still really surprised with the color of the sith troopers yeah, being so sith red tro- the sith troopers are ryan red which is how i call that color personally <laughs> yeah okay so i think we should talk about kind of really the thing that the entire fandom is talking about maybe the most and let's just start there and it'll come up again and again and again <laughs> i know it will so dark ray, how are we feeling? What do we think now after seeing getting over the initial shock? What it, are we thinking? Oh my god, <laughs> I, I love it <laughs> so much. It is not at all. You guys have heard me on the show a bajillion and one times say I don't know what they're going to do with Ray in episode nine. I don't know what they're going to do with in Ray with episode nine. I thought that she had her big trial in episode in The Last Jedi, and, like, that was her thing to overcome was her feeling of needing a place to belong and needing a name. And once she, like, realized that, one, she didn't have a name, and, two, she didn't need a name, that, like, okay, that was her trial. And, like, she is firmly on the light side. And, like, I was very wrong and I was very excited to be wrong because we, before The Last Jedi came out, one of my favorite theories was this idea of Kylo and Rey switching places in The Last Jedi. and. It didn't go that direction, obviously. And so 
the fact that they're willing to take that risk, and and we're going to talk about whether or not it's vision or real or possession and all that stuff, but just the fact that that's like imagery in the film and that that's going to exist in some form or fashion, I think is so ballsy and daring, and I love it a lot. Yeah, I remember you saying that. You've said it so often about like oh, I just, I don't know where Ray's story is. And it's true. It's like, we look at, we look at things like the heroine's journey and the hero's journey for inspiration and everything. And it's just, it's surprising because I think that when you talk in like hugely mythic and metaphorical terms, like both those story plot, like outlines do, it's hard to visualize it, you know? Mm -hmm. And hard to think that how could Ray, who has been such an icon of the light side, I don't know. I've always like I'm with you, Caitlin. Like we we both have wanted this whole switch place thing. Or I remember even having a conversation with Annalise Ophelian two years ago. Actually, to the day. I don't know <laughs> if you remember this. Sitting at my kitchen table and being like her being like, I think that Ray is just like the truest true light. And I was like, well. But she's got to be tested. Like, she has to be tempted, right? And The Last Jedi then, and this was before The Last Jedi, The Last Jedi gave us that look into Rey not being afraid of the dark. She went straight for the dark. We hear Luke say that. We hear basically every character. She literally goes straight to the dark to go leave Octo to go find Kylo. And she isn't afraid of the dark at all, but she does feel that overwhelming sense of loneliness when she enters that dark side cave. Um, so I think that in my mind, that was where she was tested, but I think that was pretty naive of me considering Anakin and Luke, both the main characters of each trilogy are further tested by their allegiance to the light side and to the dark side in the third of each of the films. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I thought that was going to come up, but I honestly thought it was going to come up in the form of Kylo, um, which I think it will, but I, I don't know. I, I I did not expect them, first off, to give us this in a teaser trailer. I think that's like a major wow. And good on them for marketing because it's all anyone can talk about. <laughs> I swear everyone at work is talking about it. I am hearing it everywhere. And I can't go on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter without seeing the words dark ray. <laughs> and it's funny how the terminology dark ray kind of like – uh happened like no one's saying like darth ray no one's doing that it's like oh dark ray dark ray you know have you noticed yeah, that? that is an interesting point yeah i like how you brought up the fact that like even though like luke for example goes through this really big trial and a very kind of similar identity crisis in the empire strikes back he still has that final test in return of the jedi where the emperor's like you can join me let's just kill your dad and luke is like no. Um, but he does mm -hmm. have that test. And I guess I had always thought that like that kind of um, – I don't want to say arrogance, but like that – you know how Luke in Return of the Jedi has this different attitude about him, right? He's like very confident, very sure. But he's also like – he's ready to kick your butt. Um, it's a very different attitude than what he has in Empire Strikes Back. And for me, I always saw that Rey have kind of a similar attitude in – the Last Jedi, because we always talk about that aggression that she has throughout that film and how cool that is. And like, oh, like there it is. Like that's that darkness that she's not afraid of to like tap into when she needs it. And we always kind of reference back to that. But I think it's cool that there could be this moment in the in the Rise of Skywalker where she doesn't like she says yes. <laughs> 
to that mm-hmm. darkness. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> what kind of situation is going to – I mean, number one, I do think it's worth noting that the fact that this is revealed um, in the teaser trailer, like what – if this is revealed, what are they leaving out kind of conversation. Um, but what kind of situation is Ray going to be in where she's like, no, I'm going to take that darkness and I'm going to run with it for a while. It's it's hard because we're talking about it right now on terms of it's actually happening. And I think we need to take a step back and mm-hmm. say, do you think it's a vision? I don't think it's a vision. I think it's possession. Mm-hmm. So do I. I think I, I kind of want it to be real, though. Yeah, so I want it to be when I say possession, I don't mean Ray has no agency and therefore Palpatine or the dark spirit inhabits her or something like that. I think Ray says yes to something and allows herself to go to the dark side, but it is still possession. Manipulation might be a better word. Sure, and I think that a lot of people are going to have a lot of people. I don't know. I think that people are already having problems with the possession idea, but I don't see any other way that Palpatine, the spirit of Palpatine, can be involved. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are things like when you walk down this path and you think about what if Ray actually turned to the dark side or what would open her up to be susceptible to the dark side, I think about her fears and her weaknesses. And I think that her number one fear is being alone and like being completely lonely. I think we see that in The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is where it gets a little confusing because you and I both believe that Rey conquered and, you know, stood her fear straight in the face in The Last Jedi in that mirror cave when it was revealed that her, basically her parents don't matter. (laughs) Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, again, was like, remember Ryan Johnson's whole, like, I'm going to write down all of the hardest things our characters need to go to. What would be the hardest thing for Ray to see? And it would really be to not see her parents. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because I guess that was maybe not her greatest fear, but her great her like hardest truth. Yeah. And then I think about all of the characters that have been susceptible to the dark side, and it usually all comes down to attachment um, when Luke almost turns to the dark side, it's like taunting over perhaps Leia can turn. Anakin, we all know, turn to the dark side to save Padme. All these things are temptations for like your own compassions, your own um, loves, really. And me, a known Raylo, is like, okay, so <laughs> what? Does this? I don't know. I don't know if if Ben Solo is involved at all in this, but I've seen it floated around online that perhaps Ray is offered like some way to bring her parents back in the vein of Ezra, which we mm-hmm. see in Rebels. You know, when Palpatine opens the veil and shows Ezra his parents who are long deceased, mm-hmm. and I wonder if something like that could cause Ray to go down this dark path. Um, I'm sorry I'm monologuing, but like Daisy Ridley herself has said, you know, we'll we'll learn more about her parents. And I, I, I've always kind of like grimaced at that or like there's more to the story is what she said. Um, because I just I don't think there really is that much more to the story. I think it's pretty crucial for her to be a nobody. And I think she is a nobody. I just um, 
I wonder if that temptation would be there or if Palpatine could even offer like, I don't know, this is wild, but like, so is Dark Ray and so is Palpatine being back. If Palpatine could even <laughs> offer like, you could be the greatest Jedi, you could be the greatest force user, it doesn't matter about your birthright or your bloodline or whatever. And like, that was an offer that could happen. Or, you know, you could save your friends, you could save the resistance, something like that. I don't know. Because that's de- certainly there's precedent for that, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> I That's what I keep trying to think of is what is that thing that would tempt her. her. Yeah, that is that serves as that temptation. And you're right. It always comes down to Palpatine manipulating a character's compassions and their greatest weaknesses, which – and Star Wars turned out to be their personal relationships. So mm-hmm. you look at Rey and like her biggest personal relationships are Kylo and Finn. And so can those be used against her? And what kind of situation would Kylo be used against her so that she would make the choice to turn to the dark side? Like that seems counterproductive for her whole, I'm going to the supremacy quest. <laughs> so that – like the shipper in me is like, yes. <laughs> but – when I think about it in a story sense, I'm not so sure um, how that would work. Uh, I think maybe once we get more information, that might become more clear, obviously, once we see the movie. Um, but yeah. I, the idea of uh, saving the resistance, I think, and like Finn in particular, that could be a good option. But I'm also like, okay, that's already been done. Mm-hmm. And it really seems like they're going to some like super duper strange places here. Um, so – when I think about it that way, I'm kind of like, oh, maybe it is a vision. Um, like I've seen someone talk about it like you – like Ray sees reflection of herself as what could have been mm-hmm. and she kind of sees what that reality could have looked like or even I've seen theories floating around about like Ray was the one who was supposed to fall but instead it was Kylo and then he like sees who she would be if she had fallen to the dark side and that's who she would be or or maybe it is just this entire illusion that's being set up by Palpatine to manipulate Kylo and Ray against each other. I I, kind of think that could be a possibility too Um, and I'm not – I have no idea. (laughs) I think that like everything's on the table and honestly I don't I don't like to like make fun of theories and I don't like to be like ah the clone thing is like so dumb but like I don't know maybe I could entertain that for like five seconds but the the One, vision thing too it's yeah all right I'm done I'm not I'm not entertaining the clone thing anymore <laughs> the the vision thing makes sense but then I go back to like yeah but she already had like her cave moment so like what yeah so I was thinking as you were talking about Dark Disciple and about how Quinlan Voss, and this is spoilers for Dark Disciple, but it's been out for a while, so I'm sorry. Quinlan is like, I can go to the dark side and I can come back. Mm-hmm. I can go to the dark side to do this thing and I can come back. I kind of believe that Ray can do that too. I mean, we've seen characters come back from the dark side. Anakin does it. He dies, but he does it, you know, um, already. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not out. I mean, that's why they did it in Dark Disciple because it's possible. Redemption is always an avenue. Mm-hmm. And I think, I wonder if it's like, the only way for you to destroy Palpatine and bring balance to the galaxy is for you to also go down the dark path and Ray being like, no, I can come back. Like you came back, Ben, like in, in, in this scenario, 
Kylo Ren is no longer Kylo Ren, but he's Ben Solo. Because the one thing that Caitlin and I thought of, at least this is like kind of the first thing I said when we came out of that theater watching the the Rise of Skywalker D23 thing, was like it makes so much sense in the yin and yang of it all because you have to have a character presented like 70% dark and then 30% light and then you know, 70% light and 30% dark. And where was Rey's 30% dark? I think you could obviously argue that like that kind of happened in The Last Jedi when she wasn't afraid of the dark. And that was cool, you know, when there was that yin and yang symbolism. But her actually wielding a a red lightsaber, like that tangible lightsaber um, that she has, it's all crackly and everything. I, I feel like there is a possibility that she... I don't know, kind of willingly goes down this path knowing that she can come back. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite theory so far, honestly, because you even think about Luke's line in The Last Jedi. You went straight to the dark. It gave you – it had something you needed. It gave and you, you didn't something. even try to stop yourself. Yeah, you didn't even try to stop yourself. Well, what if like there's still something in the darkness that Rey needs, that Rey and Kylo need um, in order to vanquish Palpatine? Yep. I mean, that's so interesting to me. And that's something that, like, no Star Wars movie has done. It really kind of cracks the whole thing wide open about the light and dark thing. And it really expands on something that we've seen expanded on in the novels, like Dark Disciple. And that's why Dark Disciple is one of our favorites and, like, kind of a fandom favorite as well because it is so crazy. But seeing it on screen, I mean, as an audience, I would believe that Rey would come back to the to the light which is it just kind of flips the whole redemption of kylo ren thing on its head as well and it makes it more like believable um to maybe the general audience because for two movies you're like raise the best raise the goodest you know raise the light and like our ray of light and her going back to the dark side it kind of like is like well she can come back like she can come back everyone can come back you know (laughs) rather than yeah and you're able to root for Ray to come back. Why aren't you able to root for Kyla to come back? Basically, yeah. Yeah, which is what we talked about with our whole theory of them switching places. It's like, you know, I think I, I think I posed the question before Last Jedi. It was like, if you see Ray do something, like, what if Ray is the one to kill Luke in The Last Jedi? This is before the movie came out. It's like, how would we feel about her character that? And I don't know. I still think that's a question, and it looks like maybe we could be getting some of that in <laughs> in the Rise of Skywalker. But um, kind of going back to your conversation about the balance, that is something that also gets brought up in Master and Apprentice. Remember, there's that conversation between like Qui Gon and um, uh, the other one. Uh, his name start with an R. Rael. Rael, yes, and Rael, and they're talking about balance and and. Qui-Gon is like, what does that mean? And Ryle's like, I don't know. <laughs> Which is what we talk about all the time. We're like, yes, balance. Not sure what it is, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, to have equal light, you have to have equal darkness. And the idea of Kylo and Rey being instruments of the cosmic force, they both have to – I mean, this almost goes back to our conversation about Yoda from the Yoda series about, like, midi-chlorians and how we want it to be this, like, very set thing of, like, one midi-chlorian per person. And then when they die, it goes to the cosmic force. And then it cycles back around. It's like a one-to-one thing. When in reality, it's much more fluid and it's all happening at the same time. And so maybe we're going to be seeing something like that expressed in Rey and Kylo that this light and darkness, it's not like it, – it, it is kind of similar to our barometer um, metaphor for light and dark, but it is – it's fluid and it's happening at the same time. And so the question I have – 
and I'm thinking about is I'm wondering like if red like in because they're connected and because they represent this balance and they're this yin and yang and they're instruments of cosmic force, I wonder if it's like almost by their very nature that to take a word from daughter, it's in his nature. Mm-hmm. Um that if Ray is on the dark, then like Kylo automatically functions within the light. Yeah, isn't that so interesting to consider? Yeah. Because then it's like, what does the ending look like? Because yeah. It's something we've always said about, like, you know, if one trilogy is about a character falling, another is a trilogy about a character coming back to the light, and this one is going to be somewhere in the middle, them meeting in the middle. And I don't know what that looks like, but I do know that it starts with accepting that darkness is who you are, and it's part of you, and shoving it away. But not shoving it away in a suppression, but even understanding it, taking it upon you, and accepting the shadow which mm-hmm. is something that we talked about in our Yoda series. And it is so well represented in that Yoda arc in the Clone Wars with a literal shadow, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So if you haven't watched that Yoda episode arc from the Clone Wars, you should go and watch it and you can listen to our summer series all about it. Um, yes. Because that's actually been one of my favorite things we've done this year, surprisingly. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about mythology because one of the favorite Raylo theories is all about uh, the how Ray and Kylo are versions of Hades and Persephone. And do you want to talk about the Hades and Persephone myth for those that don't know? I mean, it's just kind of interesting. I don't know if I need to recount the whole thing because the Hades and Persephone myth like changes a lot because it's a myth and it changes. But yeah. um, Hades – the gist of it, Hades took Persephone down into the underworld from her. They snatched her up, but she ended up falling in love with him down there. And she's the goddess of, I think, springtime, right? Youth. Yes. And he didn't let her return. But when she returned, um, she ate this berry. And then she comes back because she fell, falls in love with Hades. Correct? Is that like the biggest gist of it, right? Yeah. The biggest gist is that she – when she's down in the underworld with Hades, it's always winter time in the world. Yes. And so Hades agrees to like let her go back to the light for like half the year, springtime. She comes back down to be queen of the underworld. But she eats like three pomegranate seeds or something. Yes. And pomegranate she has, seeds. She has to stay in the underworld for like ever or something like that. But – yeah. And the pomegranate seeds are pretty representative of pregnancy, of new life, all these mm-hmm. things. Yeah, exactly. And um, they always talk about like like you mentioned that descent into the underworld and mm-hmm. how that's usually visually represented through things like the bridal carry <laughs> and yes. how we've definitely seen that within Star Wars as well uh, and in The Force More- Awakens. More modern understandings of Persephone have her playing a more active role rather than passive mm-hmm. um, just based off of her – admiration and love for Hades and her seeing the good in Hades, her seeing everything that makes Hades Hades, like not trying to fully change him away from the dark, but understanding who he is. And I think that this is really interesting because of if you have this idea of the underworld, which is something that we've talked about like extensively on the show of how Snoke's 
boudoir actually represents the underworld. It is kind of said in all of these things like the art of books and Ryan has talked about it the same way. She literally goes there in a coffin, all of these things. So that's kind of what most fans have used as like a template for her descent into the underworld. But it's really interesting here when you have Dark Ray presented that like perhaps this is her descent into the underworld and like that was just pre-underworld. Like what's happening here? <laughs> I know. You know? <laughs> well, then there's the other myth too about Orpheus and Eurydice and mm-hmm. Orpheus and Eurydice, it's very different and I'm not like – it's definitely not a one-to-one to Ray and Kylo just like Hades and Persephone is not a one-to-one. But in Orpheus and Eurydice, they fall in love. Eurydice, the girl, ends up down in the underworld of her own volition. She makes the choice to go down to the underworld um, and Hades like basically traps her there and Orpheus has to go down into the underworld to try and save her. The story ends very tragically because, of course, Hades is like, you can't have her. She's mine and basically strikes a deal with Orpheus that says you can lead her out of the underworld if you like you have to lead her and you can't look behind you to make sure that she's still there. You basically have to have faith that she's behind you. And if you do, great. She's live with you forever up in the real world. If you don't, then she's mine forever. And so they they go, Eurydice and Orpheus, they're like going up from the underworld. And at the last moment, Orpheus loses faith and he looks behind him. And Eurydice has been there the whole time. But because he looked back, she gets sentenced to damnation in Hades for – for forever. <laughs> it's a very tragic story. But I've seen people now talking about like, oh, okay, well, like if Ray does have this descent into darkness, which obviously she's going to have in some form or fashion, like is there a situation where Kylo is now the one who has to try and reach out to her just like Ray reached out to him in The Last right. Jedi? Um, and I think that's the cool thing about Ray and Kylo, and I, and I kind of hope we see something like that because their story has always – the foundation of their story has always been that they're equals, both in mm-hmm. strength um, and, like, in compassion for one another. Uh, and I think it would be cool to see Kylo, like, reach out to Ray and go to Ray just like Ray did for him. And I would like to continue to see that balance and that equality in their relationship. I also I just want to say this is a good moment for me to say that after seeing this trailer and seeing the conversations by the creators, I literally have zero doubt anymore about Raylo and Pendemption. If I ever had any doubt that it was going to happen, um, that is gone now. I think it's 100 <laughs> percent happening. And yeah, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I, I'm like all in. <laughs> I still get doubts about like explicit romantic Raylo. Because I don't know, Caitlin. I know, I know, in. I know, because I just I get gaslit by the community and by people telling me I'm crazy, and like I let it get in my head. I really do, and I don't want to be disappointed. I just want to be elated. Um, yeah, I 100% redemption. Like no questions asked, uh, yeah. and totally 100%. Like they're together. This is their film. Hello to our two halves of a protagonist. Nice to see you literally front and center of everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm still not sure. Like I'm like, well, is there going to be a kiss? Am I going to have a Mr. Darcy? Yes, Caitlin, there's going to be a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying it on the air. It has to happen. <laughs> JJ, don't let us down. <laughs> I just like, I, I don't know. I don't – I mean, of course I have my doubts just because I'm like you and I get pretty gaslit and kind of depressed about the way I see the story, but I do think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's – I mean, it's it's going to happen. I yeah. want it to happen. 
Anyway, when I was reading The Heroine's Journey, after I got back from D23, I was like, okay, time to crack open Hero's Journey, Heroine's Journey, and see what the heck is is going on Um, and see if this provides any insight. Because like I said at the beginning of the show, when you talk about things in like general terms, like all these steps in a Hero's Journey or a Heroine's Journey, it sounds very like, yeah, the end of the story is them returning home and coming back with what they've learned. And I think that like, that's exactly... I don't know. I feel like you get that at the end of The Last Jedi in a way, even though you and I are both like, there's so much there, you know. But I found like a couple quotes about this stage at the end of the heroine's journey called the sacred marriage. And the sacred marriage is something that's come up a lot in like Ray Lometa's and everything. But this was like a new to me quote. I've read The Heroine's Journey, but I was like, oh, my God, this is probably what it is (laughs) with the dark gray. So I was wondering, since I'm really bad at reading things aloud, Caitlin, would you mind reading this huge chunk of text? Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So this is all about the sacred marriage. Quote, the sacred marriage is the marriage of ego and self. The heroine comes to understand the dynamics of her feminine and masculine nature and accepts them both together. The result of this union is the birth of the divine child. A woman gives birth to herself as a divine androgynous being, autonomous and in a state of perfect unity of opposites. She is whole. It is a moment of recognition, a kind of remembering of that which somewhere at the bottom we have always known. The current problems are not solved, the conflicts remain, but such a person's suffering, as long as she does not evade it, will no longer lead to neurosis, but new life. The individual intuitively glimpses who she is. This truly is the task of the contemporary heroine. She heals as she breathes, as she recognizes her true nature, breathing knowledge into all of us. The heroine becomes the mistress of both worlds. She can navigate the waters of daily life and listen to the teachings of the depths. She has gained wisdom from her experiences. She no longer needs to blame the other. She is the other. She brings that wisdom back to share with the world. And the women, men, and children of the world are transformed by her journey. Ray is going to save the I, I, day. Like, is there a single sentence in here that doesn't make sense? You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I was like, okay, oh my gosh. So like, let's start with the sacred marriage is the marriage of ego and self. So when you're reading it, I remembered how in Joseph Campbell's, um, I forget what it's called. It could be like myth and symbolism that's on Netflix. There's a six part or five part Netflix series and he talks about um, all the stages of the hero's journey. And um, it was filmed at Skywalker Ranch. I've mentioned it before on the show. He talks about how the ego can be represented by the dragon. And just like, follow me here. (laughs) Okay. The ego (laughs) often is represented by the dragon, slaying the dragon, you know, riding the dragon. You're slaying your ego. You're understanding, accepting your ego. And I always found that really like... A, a great metaphor, especially because in the Revenge of the Sith novelization, the dark side is so personified by the ego, right? I mean, the dark side is so mm-hmm. personified by the dragon, the which dragon. equals the ego. So it's always like uh, he, <laughs> the dragon whispers, the dragon breathes fire in your heart, all of these things. If you guys haven't read the Revenge of the Sith novelization, here's my plug for it. Definitely read it. It is some of the most metaphorical Star Wars that is out there. And... Um, so whenever I see the word ego in regards to a hero's journey or heroine's journey, I always think about slaying of the dragon or riding the dragon. And I love this idea of the ego and the self. So this dark side, essentially, and knowing who you are. And Ray knows who she is. She knows she's a good person. She knows she's just like the most sturdy person, you know. 
um, go hand in hand together. So here we are having Ray experience the dark side in some form, and she will quote, bring that wisdom back to share with the world. And the women, men, and children of the world are transformed of her journey. If Star, if the sequel trilogy isn't about anything, it's about Rey's journey and what she will bring on to the next generation of Jedi, the Jedi, the light side, whatever it looks like to the future. If she doesn't have that experience of temptation with the dark and that not just temptation uh, against, you know, with Ben Solo, because we know that that's not going to end with him staying on the dark side. Um, we, she has to have that experience herself. And that's something that we've talked about often as well. And just like, it's not Ray's job to bring Kylo back from the dark side, but it, it is interesting to consider that Ray will have her own experience with the dark as well. She will confront her, stra- her mm-hmm. shadow. And I think that like, you can look at the cave scene and think that that is her confronting her shadow. And of course it is. But embodying that, you know, understanding that, letting the ego take over is something that is crucial to her own journey. Yeah. And that – and, like, now when you think about it in context of what we've seen so far, whether or not it's a vision possession or real or some freaky combination of all three, which wouldn't put it past you, Star Wars, at this point. um, That moment in the dark cave really was facing her fears, whereas this is facing herself and like her shadow because like the dark side cave yes it was her shadow but it wasn't it was a fear in a way and it was a a situational fear Mm -hmm. um in a way and now what we're probably going to be seeing in the rise of skywalker is her facing the darkness that's within herself in like the most realistic way like her exact form and her her personal shadow and again like what we always say about star wars it's all about your personal choice and it's not up to ray to save kylo just like it's not going to be up to kylo to save ray but it's for uh for me anyway like to see that try and happen i think is important but at the end of the day kylo is the one who has to make that choice to save himself just like ray will have to be the one whether or not it's possession manipulation or real she's going to be the one to make the choice to come back right and it's interesting that they list this in the hero's journey, the heroine's journey, which is by Maureen Mur- Murdoch. I realize I didn't mention that. It's a book. It's great. It's it states that the heroine becomes the mistress of both worlds, and that's this is something that we noted pretty much especially in our Yoda series at the in our final episode there that the end of the hero's journey is the master of two worlds, and. If we think about Kylo on potentially a hero's journey that we are just not active participants in because we are only seeing part of the story, then perhaps at the end he will also become master of two worlds. And so here we have the master and the mistress of both worlds, which I think that in Star Wars we consider to be understanding the force, um, I guess the light side, the dark side. Um, saving people from dying, understanding the netherworld, like all these things, <laughs> you know, I think that you can check like a bunch of boxes with Star Wars that are like both metaphysical and physical. I'm looking forward to it. I know. It's just so crazy. I love Dark Ray because it's really just allowing for these kind of theories to uh, emerge. And it's so interesting even to consider that JJ gave us this image and like, is this close to the beginning of the movie? I've seen people like have some speculation about like, I don't know if it makes sense for Ray to go to the dark side like there's only one movie left like I don't know if they'll be convinced be able to convincingly tell me that she can turn to the dark side and then come back but to that I say 
all it took was like a single second for Anakin to turn to the dark side and pledge himself. Yeah. So who knows? And at the same in in the same gesture or thought, like it's not about Ray being on the dark side. It's not about how much we can see her wield a cool red lightsaber and like wreak havoc on the galaxy. It's about her understanding that part of herself and coming back from it. Like that's the important piece. And that's why I kind of think that it will be a vision or manipulation or like her like her actively kind of what we've been saying like actively going to the dark side like it has something that I need um in this sense rather than her falling to the dark side because I think I think that's a good point like we've not had two films of her like actively choosing the right side so for her to like fall to the dark side and then come back from the dark side seems like a bit of a stretch but I definitely could see a situation where it's like she chooses to go to the dark side because of something it needs like it has for her and perhaps she gets lost in that at some point and needs to be reminded that that's not who she is and she also discovers that for herself and makes the choice but it for me it's not about like what she does while in the darkness it's about her just kind of being there and then Mm -hmm. making that choice to come back um i think we should jump ahead and ask the question of where is she and I've seen it float around and it like makes me so excited that we've like dove so deep into Vader Immortal at this point. If you guys haven't listened, we were able to interview the creators and the Lucasfilm creative executives behind Vader Immortal. So please go listen to that interview. We are, Caitlin and I are both really proud of it. And we talked about some really fun stuff with that. But in that, Vader Immortal takes place in Vader's castle. And we've seen Vader's castle come up so much in Star Wars canon recently, like so much. Ever since Rogue One, it seems like it's been everywhere. I mean, don't you agree, Caitlin? Oh, yeah. So do we think that she's in Vader's castle? Do we think she's in a castle of some some sort? Where is she? And does Vader immortal even matter? I think that it does matter. And <laughs> I think at first I was like, why? Like, we don't need to go to Mustafar. That's just, that's just silly. Um, mm-hmm. Not silly. It was just like, we don't need to go there. Like, we've already been there. Uh, but honestly, like learning more about Vader Immortal, and um, before we were lucky enough to get to do this interview, I knew what Vader Immortal was. I'd seen clips of it and stuff, but I hadn't like actually watched gameplay of it um, or really like understood the story. But you know, in preparation for our interview, I went through it all. We both did, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> there's a lot going on here." And I think it makes perfect sense for something like Dark Ray and possibly even part of Ben's redemption to happen in this place because the mythology about Mustafar that is created and told in Vader or Mortal just seems like so important. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So possible spoilers for the game if you're not already caught up. But basically the story of Mustafar is that there's this thing called the Bright Star, which is like the life force of the people of Mustafar. And you had this king and this queen and they were beautifully in love. And then I forget what happened, but like the king died basically. And the wife, the queen was so distraught that she took the bright star from the people of Mustafar and tried to use it to bring the king back to life. And in doing so, she destroyed Mustafar and made it into the lava planet that it is today. And before Mustafar used to be this like beautiful lush green place. The the animation of this whole this whole story about Mustafar and the bright star is beautiful. Like that in and of itself is worth watching. 
So Mustafar dies, the Bright Star is lost, and Vader, Anakin, loses his wife on Mustafar, and then he builds his castle here, and Vader Immortal is the story of Vader trying to find the Bright Star in order to bring Padme back to life. And we always talk about how, you know, Kylo's I'll finish what you started. Maybe he originally meant like destroying the Jedi, but at its core, what it really means is finishing what Vader's what Anakin started about bringing back life. And that maybe mm-hmm. Kylo ends up doing that, maybe Rey ends up doing that, but like that's what Anakin wanted to do from the very beginning. And that's what he continued to try to do as Vader. And so mm-hmm. to see that story literally come full circle back to Mustafar, to the place where Anakin literally lost it all, like that was the final straw for him. Once he lost Anakin, then it's like, oh, there's no turning. Like there's really no turning back here. It's where he lost Obi-Wan as well. And to think that like, this is where Ben could be redeemed, where where Ray could come back from the dark side or be the one to find something like like I don't know. I just think it makes a lot of sense. And now I'm kind of monologuing here, but in our interview with uh, Matt Martin and Ben Snow and Jose Perez the third, we talked about how, you know, we've seen like so there's Vader's castle, and then underneath Vader's castle, there's the Corvex Fortress. And the Corvex Fortress is, like, where the king and queen of Mustafar lived and, like, where all of this stuff happened. And it's, like, this ancient, scary fortress underneath Vader's castle where they're hoping to find the bright star. And in our interview, we talked about, like, okay, so now we have Mustafar, Malachor, um, more band from the Yoda series, and Lethal, and all of these places have these, like, super serious ancient temples and fortresses and castles. And in all of these situations, our characters there have very intense um, moments where they come out the other end with enlightenment and character development. And it's like very important what they did in these temples. And we talked to them and we're like, it's kind of weird that you have this similar situation for Vader and he's going to fail. He's not going to bring Padme back. And so – it really would come full circle for like Ray and Kylo to go there and then be successful. <laughs> yes. um, anyway, that was like so much, but like I think Vader Immortal could be the most important thing. <laughs> it's crazy. So as you were talking, I was thinking about how epic it would be for a restoration to happen or Ben reviving Ray from death or some something or the opposite, Ray reviving Ben from death. And the entire and this happening on Mustafar and the entire world also like comes back to life in the, in the way that we saw it before um, the bright star bright bright star was stolen from um, Invader Immortal and when Mustafar was lush and everything it was like it would be like this real Beauty and the Beast moment mm-hmm. and I just I can't stop thinking about the quote from Rebels which we haven't talked about in a while though Caitlin that was at the end of Rebels and World Between Worlds, I believe it was World Between Worlds, restore the past and redeem the future. What? And and I just, I think that restoring the past, like, I don't know. I don't know if Vader Immortal is really this important, but I mean, I think that would be super cool if we saw Mustafar come back from this, like, where the Jedi go to die reputation, which is also in Rebels mentioned often. Um, to where the Jedi go to live and there's like a a new life that is brought forth on this Jedi killer planet. It would be 
so good. It yeah. would be like so good. And I think as long as we're talking about like animation, so like let's just keep that ball rolling. Um, okay, restore the past, redeem the future. Seems pretty important. Uh, let's not forget that. I think it was – was it Dave Filoni uh, at Celebration who was like, every character should get redemption. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then we have the world between worlds and Palpatine. And I did not notice this imagery when we first saw this poster and or trailer. And the fact that someone had to point it out to me like feels like I'm a bad fan. But – Fake fan. Fake fan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but on the poster, Palpatine has that like scary, like that blue flame underneath him. And that is exactly the same kind of imagery we see from him in World Between Worlds. <laughs> and it's crazy. And if that doesn't and, blow your and mind. And in the Yoda arc. Yeah, and in the Yoda arc. And I think too in yeah, yeah, you're right. In and in the Yoda arc. Uh so if that doesn't blow your mind, like why are you listening to our show? <laughs> Like the whole casual blood sacrifice casual blood. that we so lovingly made fun of. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I can't believe there's could be potentially a casual blood sacrifice for Palpatine to use his like weird bird bath looking thing <laughs> to <laughs> to kind of manipulate the force. I just can't get over I, it. And it seems like it's on the poster. It total I'm like now I'm a hundred percent. I'm like, oh, they're totally going to a world between worlds type of place. Like a hundred. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. Um uh, Even if it's not what we know as the world between worlds, because did it was it Dave? I feel like Caitlin, you're a little bit more familiar with than this with me. Dave saying that there are like since there are temples all over the galaxy, there are certain like apexes in the galaxy where a world between world like vortex whatever happens, and then it's not always looking like that. Almost in the same way that mother, daughter, and father. Um, not mother, daughter, son, and father. Of course not mother. How dare they? <laughs> the, <laughs> um, <laughs> the They appear in different forms. Yes. You know, same eyes in different people situation. It's like the world between worlds might not look the same in The Rise of Skywalker as it did in Rebels, but it would kind of essentially do the same thing. Yeah, that's what I think. And the the thing that – yes, Dave has said that. He he talked about um, how father – and we've seen this in uh, like throughout canon when they've talked about the Mortis Gods, but – um, in World Between Worlds, they discussed how the Mortis gods were, one, written about in the Jedi archives, which is super interesting, and how they went – like they were called something else. Like they weren't called father, mm-hmm. son, and daughter for something else. So again, like the Force mythology looks different in different places. And World Between Worlds specifically, he likened it to Narnia, to the magician's nephew, where they kind of go in between – places um and they kind of exist in this timeless void in that book that's that's what he's most liking it to but you're right like it could look like different things the thing that i am excited to go back in 2020 and kind of compare so in world between worlds when it was all said and done dave talked about they were talking about the design of world between worlds and they're like you've actually like Ezra has already been there before in earlier seasons. He just wasn't, like, basically enlightened enough to know that he was there. Like, when he meets with Yoda in, like, season two or something, like, he's in the world between worlds. But, like, when since we're there with Ezra, we're only seeing what Ezra sees. And Ezra just sees, like, darkness around him and, like, Yoda. But where he really is – Wait, so the Force Bond? Yes. So – 
I can't see your surroundings, but you can see mine. Yes. So what I'm so like once we get so like it wasn't until we had season four Ezra who knew what he knew that one he was able to have the knowledge to access the world between worlds, but two that he was able to like fully see it and under mostly <laughs> understand it for what it was. And then Dave was like, "Yeah, you go back in these seasons of Rebels and like." You can see like there's a progression basically of Vader, of um, Ezra already there, but he just didn't know it yet. And you can like track that kind of like development of World Between Worlds with Ezra. And so I think it's going to be really cool with Rank Kylo and wherever they end up, whatever their World Between Worlds looks like, because I don't think it'll look like it does in, in Rebels, but like how cool <laughs> if it did. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm shocked. I'm yeah. shocked right now. Then it like, then you could be, you could go back and look at like, Oh, that thing like when Kylo was like, "Oh, you see the the ocean, I see it too," or something like that. Like that's the beginning, and then the Force Bond is the middle, and then whatever they learn in the Last Jedi, that's when it's like fully realized that they like can teleport to each other, or they're in this like protective space, like this safe zone. Like I don't know, but you'll be able to track like, oh, they they were actually there the whole time. Like, they were tapping into that same power because they're instruments of the cosmic force. They and we just didn't know it at the time because they didn't know enough yet. Anyway. Whoa. That's my theory. Shook. I know, right? Shook. I got to find that video. I think it's just like Rebels Recon about World Between Worlds. Yeah, it probably Where he is. talks about it. But it's yeah. like such a cool conversation. And now that we have Palpatine, like, with this very explicit, very direct imagery to World Between Worlds, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I'm so excited. I'm very excited. <sighs> okay. So let's talk about just continuing talking only about Ray and Kylo. I'm <laughs> sorry, guys. We love the other characters, but this is where the, the heart truly <laughs> lies. Um, so we have Kylo in the amazing fight on what happens to be a sunken Death Star. Unsure if it's one or two. It has to be two, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be anything. It could be whatever it wants to be. <laughs> so they are fighting on the Death Star. It's so epic. You know, waves are going. Emotions are high. And it's so interesting because we've seen so many people, like, slow down these gifts that people have made, essentially, of it looking like Kylo is really on the defensive and Rey is just, like, being, like, super angry, kind of like her feral, like, ah, self, you know? <laughs> And <laughs> I like uh. when Ray gets like intense like that. Yeah. First off, that's really interesting, which is actually kind of a pattern. We saw that happen in the first time Ray and Kylo even encounter each other on the forest. Kylo is really just kind of shooting the blasters, the, the blaster shots away like so mm -hmm. lazily. And it's interesting here. Like, obviously, it's definitely not as lazy, but <laughs> it is. Um, on the defense. And I think there's something interesting too about how like that first shot where we see Kylo and it's it's a shot from the ground and he kind of just moves through the shot. That looks like it's not the same place as the basically the next scene which is them fighting on the Death Star. It's strange to me because I'm like that looks like the desert ground while the other looks like obviously watery Death Star. So I think they kind of stitch these two clips together, which means how does a scene even start? And I don't know if it starts with Kylo kind of walking slowly with his saber, you know, ready for battle towards Rey. I think that's a little crafty. I don't know. I just keep replaying that gif over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just think there's in the Vanity Fair behind the scenes video, 
uh, Daisy had on wires that, similar to the wires that she had on in the uh, Snoke throne room scene, where she was lifted up in the air when she was being tortured by Snoke. And I think that's really interesting because I'm like, okay, so what happens in this fight? Because clearly they keep hyping this fight. Daisy loves to talk about it. They've shown it a lot. They've it's on the poster. It must be the fight where honestly things happen. And I have to think that first off, my idea of this fight is it's super like, in my opinion, I think that there's so much tension that will go into it. There's I don't know if this is the first time they've seen each other. I don't know. And I think that there's something like inherently, I don't know, super hot about it. And I just feel like I I, trying to find like something intelligent to say and you're like, it's just hot. It's just super hot. Like, it's just great. I love the tension. I love the angriness between it. And because I'm crazy, I can't help but think that Ray, if Ray falls into the water or if Ben falls into the water or something, Caitlin, do you know what I'm going to say next? <laughs> that it's some sort of like baptism of some, oh my some God. <laughs> that I'm like, okay, so if this is in the beginning of the movie, it will start their journey for the full movie and like will forever change them. I don't know how, but because of those wires, I'm basing this all on her safety wires. I do think that something like volatile is going to happen where, I mean, I don't think they can kill each other. So it'll be interesting to see how the fight even resolves because they're not going to kill each other. They can't. Yeah, no, they live and die together. Yeah. So like the idea of them precariously being on this like walk the plank situation, one of them's going to fall. And what does that even look like? And if it's if it is symbolic, Ray falling down into the water, does it symbolize her fall to the dark side that it will come just around the corner? Who knows? It is definitely going to be a baptism of some sort. Mm, I guess if there are all these like crazy Sith things that she discovers within star within the death star and she falls and she like gets sucked into the death star and then she comes out the other side and she's dark side ray but no one knows how yeah and i think that's that's also really interesting because i hadn't even considered this but her going inside of the death star i mean she's a scavenger so like who knows what she's gonna find who knows what she's gonna do and who knows what she's going to try to scavenge you know what will the scavenger scavenge? That's the question. What will the scavenger scavenge? Yeah, I have such a hard time piecing. I was bad at this for The Last Jedi too, but like piecing together the order of this film and like where things take place and like, oh, well, obviously like this fight is from the beginning or second act as opposed to the third act. I'm like, I I think I got like all wrong for The Last mm-hmm. Jedi. So I'm not sure if I even want to try Revise the Skywalker. And then I've seen, I keep thinking about the possibility of them like, uh, like, I don't know how to describe it, but like teleporting between places while they're fighting and like using their powers to do that and their force connection. Like maybe they're both not really even there originally or they like come there or they're summoned there, like called there by the force. I don't know. I just like I think that there are a lot of crazy, crazy things that could be happening at this fight that aren't – that like the fight is actually the like least important part of it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's like symbolism out the wazoo in this fight already. <laughs> yeah. Like exactly. first off the rain, then the like tumultuous waves, them being on this old relic. Like 
<laughs> so much. <laughs> There's a reason why they're hyping the scene because it is like the culmination of all the emotions that they've had pent up since The Last Jedi. It's it's like, I do think it's in the beginning of the movie. I know that maybe we shouldn't speculate on the placement, but I do think it is. I don't know. Next bullet point hands are language this one's short i just i think that we needed to call this out <laughs> that's we, it we talked we about it, it in our in our i think we talked about it in our first reaction right we were like oh my god hands everywhere close close-up shot yes. of the hand touch um i i'm just happy to see online people like awakening to this idea that hands really do convey so much because if you guys are again new to us if this is your first episode we have a whole episode all about the hands in the saga and how they're a language and how and the hands are a language is a quote by Sabine Wren in Rebels that just keeps coming up and up and up and up and it was only kind of hammered home by this saga trailer that honestly utilized so many hands so many hands doing so many things (laughs) so many important things connecting Um, the future and it's just great (laughs) that's really all there is to say we literally have hours upon hours of talking about hands our language so yeah you can go back and find those if you're interested in more deviating a little bit when there was the first day of d23 there was a legacy uh disney disney legends ceremony and they showed a clip um that we had heard about back in march i think when there was a disney shareholder meeting and um we also talked about this on our D23, but I'm just continually thinking about it because the image just keeps scrolling past my timeline um, <laughs> of Kylo in a white room looking down on the Darth Vader mask encased. And I just like my brain just keeps like moving and moving about like what is happening there. The the fact that Kylo, a, a dark figure, is in such a bright white room and the Vader mask is encased and tombed. Um, I don't know. It just it brings about like what are we going to see in this scene? Because I really do think that it's going to be some forcey weird stuff given the fact that last time he, um, he had his Hamlet moment. I just wonder if we're actually going to get the ghost. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the Hamlet joke. I, <laughs> I, I wonder too if he like finally destroys the Vader mask himself in this moment too. Um, yeah. Like everything is kind of crashing in on him. And it's like he, you know, we, we've discussed and theorized about Snoke using like who, who's actually talking to Kylo through this helmet. Um, Cause it's not Vader. It's not Anakin. So is it Snoke? Is it Palpatine? If it's Snoke, then presumably that that voice is no longer there coming through the helmet. And I can almost picture the situation where Kylo, like he keeps trying to like be dark side, be Supreme leader and, you know, he's like, show me, grandfather, show me, I finished what you started. And it's like, why aren't you showing me? Like, and he just gets so frustrated that, like, nothing is coming that he, like, destroys it in this, like, fit of rage. And then, like, maybe then it's like this cloud is unlocked from around him. And then maybe he, like, sees the ghost of Anakin Skywalker once the helmet of Vader is destroyed. <sighs> so excited. But that wasn't in the, even in the trailer. I just feel like it seems like it's an important moment. Um that I just cannot wait to see on screen. Hopefully it's in the next trailer because it's good. Clearly everyone has kind of seen this. And his hair looks so good. So good. It looks very clean. It does. Which is surprising. It does. Amazing. A shower. A, sh- <laughs> a, a fresher. 
A refresher. Yes, a fresher. <laughs> the next thing I wanted to talk about is the shot of Finn and Jana um, looking out the window on a ship that I don't know what ship it is, but there's a re- rebel pilot behind them. I, I have to assume that it's like part of that giant fleet that you see with like the X-wings and the A-wings and the Y-wings and the I don't really know ships well, but I'm <laughs> guessing that's what they are. Um, or and B wings, B wings is a thing, right? The ships. Yes, I think it there's is. ships there. Yeah, ships. So I, I like. I think it's that because it doesn't look like the Millennium Falcon or anything. So, but I, I'm, I think I'm going all in on my Jana and Finn are siblings theory because I, I just really want Finn to find his family, and I've talked about this extensively. <laughs> I just feel like it's really important for Finn's own journey to have that. Um, Kind of going back to the line of he was taken from a family he never he'll never knew um he'll he never knew he'll never know I hope that he is able to get to know them and I hope that when he does find them that Jana and wherever she is with the cool space horses that we see in Vanity Fair um are able to help the resistance and I think they will um I just kind of want a happy ending for at least one of our characters who has no idea who their parents are or if they're their family really not parents but um what do you think Caitlin I don't want her to be siblings I be his sister I've always liked the theory that Pisana is where Finn is from and so he oh. has that like there's that connection there and that Jana is not his blood family but she is like his community and like where he was taken from that's that's a good theory. I like that. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Um, that's my favorite theory about Jana. I I like the idea of Finn like having his like blood family and his found family, but for me, it's just frustrating in like a real world perspective. Which I know you share the same frustration of like, okay, we've no, we have another woman of color, but like she has to be related to. Oh, I know the it's other frustrating. person of color, or they both have to be related to Lando. Like, I know I hate that too. Yeah, trust me, I hate it. I just – I think that it might – the only reason I say that isn't because of that. It's just I think it would be nice for Finn. I just want Finn to have that family. Oh, yeah. 100%. That's why I yeah. feel that, like, if Pisan is where Finn is from, it kind of kills two birds with one stone. Like, we still get to have that familial connection and that, like, sense of place. And there is that, like, yeah. tragedy of, like – you know, if depending on how many people, like, let's assume that Finn is from Pasana and like that's where they go back, and they're like, "Oh my God, like you're back! Like we know you, like we, you are ours," and it's like this homecoming of sorts. And there, and but then there's also this like whole story of like, yeah, all of these people were taken from here, and like we're the ones who are left behind, and like so many of us like lost our families that day, and we lost you that day too. Um, and then, like, they come back and it's like, oh, like, like the prodigal son returns kind of thing. Um, I think, That's interesting. Yeah, I think that could be really interesting and really powerful to have, like, Jana be a part of that. Um, and obviously, like, from Finn's home and his community and, and maybe even, like, knew his family or knows his family, they could still be alive. Like, But personally, I don't want her to – be his like blood family totally happy for her to join in on the found family one or there (laughs) how would you feel if they were siblings i think i'd be like 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 you i think it would be great for finn to find his family again i'm not sure i'm trying to decide if i think that it lessens his found family connection 
that is kind of really heavy in the sequel trilogy for him mm-hmm. in particular. But, you know, who says he can't have it all? Why can't he have found That's family I mean. and blood family? Like, I think that would be great for character. Um, and that would make me really happy for Finn because I know that it would make him really happy. Uh, but like mm-hmm. I said, for me, that like real world uh, translation of that is a little frustrating. But for sure, it could look very different in film. But as of right now, I want Jana, I want Jana to be from Pasana and I want Finn to be from Pasana too. So there's that connection. We're back to real world, like no Rose in the trailer at all. Mm. I'm honestly concerned, except I heard that Kelly Marie Tran talk about a fight scene that she's in, which is great. She she did press of that. So uh, that gives me a little bit of hope. I just – I swear to George Lucas, if I have to spend so much more time with the Knights of Ren and I don't get time with Rose – I think that's going to happen. I'm not going to be a happy camper about it. I won't. I, I won't. And well, I wasn't. We didn't see Rose in the trailer. We didn't see the Knights of Ren. So I, I just, I'm not going to be happy about it. I wasn't. Everyone knows if you've listened to our last Jedi reactions, I was not happy about the time that Poe took away from Finn in the last Jedi. That's like not one of my favorite parts of the last Jedi. It still bothers me, even though I like Poe. And of course, I love Finn, but giving Poe more screen time meant that Finn got less. And for me, I was like, not okay with that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't want to see that happen again with Rose. Like Rose is not a main character. Like she is, but she isn't. She's a part of the of the group, obviously. And like mm-hmm. for me, Ray and Kylo are where we need to spend most of our time. Ray, Kylo, and Finn, and then Poe and Rose are kind of secondary on that. Um, like time allotment, <laughs> I guess if you want to call it that. But this is my – you all yeah. know this is my fear about all these new characters that are announced. I'm like, that's two minutes away from our faves. That's another two minutes there. A whole group of Knights of Ren, that's like 10 minutes. <laughs> right. I know. I'm with you. I do think that like – I think it's – I'm just not sure how to, what to make of it yet, but they keep teasing this whole Zori Bliss, Carrie Russell's character, and um, Poe kind of having a history. I'm intrigued. I don't really know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that it allows Poe to be in the story more if, like, Zori has a connection or something. I think this is, like, Poe's, like, lifeline in the story. That said, I have said this for a while. I don't think I've said it on the show. I do think Poe's going to die in The last in the Rise of Skywalker. Um, I think in a similar way that uh, Harrison Ford really wanted Han to have a very important, meaningful death – um, and that his character wasn't supposed to live past Empire Strikes Back or something like that. I think that Oscar Isaac wasn't supposed to live past The Force Awakens, and I just wonder what's in store for his character. I think that maybe that might be the end of his journey, his heroic sacrifice um, in some sense. I'm not sure. I just have this feeling, and I just need to air it. <laughs> <laughs> Consider it aired. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely a good theory that Poe dies. It, it feels like someone has to die at the end. I know Dave always talks about how like, well, why does anyone have to die? <laughs> um, but it, it it's usually a device used for something to feel like earned, like a happy ending to yeah. feel earned and bittersweet and there is always a bit of tragedy in Star Wars as they say. <laughs> So oh, that is that is what they say. That is what they say. So I think that I think that it's a it's a good theory that that could happen. I wouldn't be surprised, nor would I mind. 
I mean, I would be really sad. It would be oh, yeah. a, a rough end. But yeah. I, I, I think that maybe it makes sense. Yeah, like if like they're all on the chopping block, like I would pick Poe. <laughs> yeah, which I don't but like. That's, that's, that's really because his character wasn't supposed to live past the Force Awakens, so his character's always kind of been on the chopping block, just in general. Yeah, yeah. JJ giveth and JJ taketh away. Truly. <laughs> so let's talk about three PO. So I'm very glad that in the past we've talked about how 3PO will have a bigger role because I was surprised to see him with red eyes. What the heck is that? (laughs) This goes back to my theory because we we did – you're right. We did discuss this after Celebration because Anthony Daniels took up a lot of time at the Rise of Skywalker panel talking about how no one listens to 3PO and everyone, wink, wink, should be listening to C-3PO. And my favorite pet theory right now about that is that 3PO has something that's been locked inside him, a la R2-D2, for a really long time. And there's just been like – there's like – it's like password protected basically and no one has said the like magic words. And someone says it and like evil switch is turned on basically or something happens and like that's what we're seeing with the red eyes. Um, and the like, the like to take it up another notch on the crack theory. I think that I'm like, oh, what if it's like something that like baby Anakin hid in 3PO, like when he made him, and mm-hmm. it's just been like super password protected until now, and it's about to get unlocked and things are about to change. <laughs> so, but what do you think about Red Eye 3PO? Well, I think it's like, I think that he is like, I don't know, something is happening with his programming. I think it's just something that we've seen in Attack of the Clones, so there's precedent for it of like him kind of saying like I think remember there's the line in Attack of the Clones when he's like gets switched up at the droid factory, you know, mm-hmm. with like die Jedi gods. Like I think that there's that that would be a funny callback almost. Like it wouldn't really be a callback, but it would be like a whoa that actually happened already, you know? Yeah. And his red eyes are triple zero. Um, triple zero is a character from the Vader comics, the Afro comics later, which is like the deadliest droid in the galaxy's murder droid. And he's a protocol droid. So I do think that there's something crazy going on because triple zero has red eyes, protocol droid, evil. I don't know what's happening. It's crazy. What's going to happen with 3PO? I think that there's like something there about if 3PO does get overridden by evil is there a metaphor there with like possession in the same way is i i don't know i think that you can think of 3po as a skywalker you can't just think of him he is a skywalker creation and he in a way embodies the storytelling and the storytelling nature of star wars he's the ambassador really for at least six films not necessarily um seven and eight but he is and has always been the uh, partial observer of all of the saga. And I think that he kind of, he does represent the Skywalker creation and Anakin's innovation. And I think that there's this interesting moment where if 3PO does go evil, (laughs) at least for a brief moment, I know it's insane to even talk about, but like if he is overridden and becomes murder droid and whatever, he will come back and it's almost like this great metaphor for the skywalkers who have consistently um teetered and walked too close to the dark side 
but in general come back in the end. You know? I think it would be interesting if he, like, did die at the end of The Rise of Skywalker because the story started with him, maybe not even in, like, this, like, super metaphorical sense, like, with the Skywalkers. Um, I could definitely see us going deeper into that for sure, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. especially you and I because that's what we do. (laughs) But it would really kind of come full circle of, like, Anakin created this droid in the beginning that has tracked with the Skywalkers and like now Anakin's story and like his family has not come to an end because they won't come to an end but like that chapter is over that like saga is over and so like then 3PO takes the story with him yeah I don't know I'm like very interested in evil C-3PO I'm also like whoa why okay um (laughs) I I think I th- I kind of feel that like the Yoda arc, evil C three PO will really surprise me with how much I like it. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like it'll come out of left field for all of us, and I'm interested to see how it's done. I do like like you mentioned, like with Attack of the Clones, how it could be this like kind of fun callback. Yeah, like a sort of callback. Yeah, it was just like oh, we've seen him act crazy before, but like this is like a new kind of crazy. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the fleet of Imperial Star Destroyers that is ominously in this trailer looking crazy, looking amazing, looking dark. I can't get over it. This uh, is weird that I'm even talking about like a whole group of ships, but. <laughs> that That's like the plot twist of 2019 is suddenly Sky Talkers care about ships. Yeah, it's so weird. Uh, this is the time in the programming, ladies and gentlemen, when you pause and go retrieve your last Jedi novelization so we can talk about chapter 25, the contingency plan. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, as you know, I'm not going to read it again, primarily because I don't have the book in front of me. And number two, we've read it a hundred times on this show. But uh, Palpatine's contingency plan, we're lost and long forgotten and forbidden planets in the far outer rim and Palpatine has been doing things on them and it looks like what he's been doing is figuring out a way to come back or he already figured out a way to come back and this is just the moment when he does come back and he is bringing with him a whole fleet and part of me like I and and we discussed this when Vanity Fair came out but pride Palpatine's pride he like Hux is at a loss of what to do with Kylo as supreme leader. So he called like – he's basically got like an emergency button that Kennedy was like, only push this if you really need it. And Hux is like, this is when I really need it. So he pushes Like this, Order 66? Yeah, basically. I was thinking Order more 67? like – Order 67? I was thinking more like comical, like a button under the desk that's like flashing red. <laughs> um. But yeah, Order 67. <laughs> so, <laughs> he pushes it and this is when pride comes and he brings with him this whole fleet. And part of me also like wouldn't it be so crazy too if like this whole collection of people like they've all been somewhere outside of time and they're suddenly brought back in. Like they Yes, the Sith Troopers, everything. It's I, happening. I know. And like that's so crazy to think because like we've always been people have been like, Star Wars is linear, Star Wars doesn't do time travel. But like 
it's almost like it is time travel, but it's not because they've like Palpatine has just been basically keeping this like whole fleet of starfighters, um, star destroyers, sorry, and like Pride and the Sith troopers, and they he's been keeping them like incubated basically for like decades, and now it's like the switch has come on. They've been taken out of carbonite. Like, what if they? Can you put a star destroyer in carbonite <laughs> and? And like everything just starts clicking into motion and you can – I can almost just see Huck standing on the bridge of like the supremacy or something and he pushes the button. He's like, what the heck? Nothing is happening. And then like all this lightning and thunder crackles and then whoosh, all of a sudden, all of these Imperial starfighters, the star star destroyers are there and he's like, whoa. Mm -hmm. And they've all just been like waiting, like frozen in time for this moment. This is it. I don't know. I'm I'm freaking out. I know. I mean, the Sith troopers are 100 percent involved. It's happening. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, like taking out the crazy, like frozen in time kind of situation. They're definitely they're definitely part of Palpatine's contingency plan. They've been in the outer rims, and they are from the time of the Empire, and they have just been waiting. Whether or not, not the outer rim, the unknown, the regions. unknown regions. Thank you. Um, so whether or not they've been frozen in time, I think it's just like a crazy plot twist, but that's definitely where they've been. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. I am so excited because I think it's really creepy. I also think it's like it's interesting how Kylo wanted to destroy the past. And if these Sith and the, the these Star Destroyers or whatever sh- big ships uh, <laughs> represent this part of the past that – Kylo has a point in the fact that he wanted, perhaps wanted to destroy this part of the past. Well, it's really interesting. I think it's cool because he could actually do what he set out to do in The Last Jedi. Destroy. I mean, it's that's totally possible, but it would definitely have a happy ending. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would. But it's like, like he ends up doing it, but it's not at all like what he thought it was going to look like. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it's not like – Kylo's not a fan of the Sith either <laughs> or the Empire. I mean, that goes back to the whole, like, the conversation of Rey being dark. And we talked about this in our immediate reaction, but um, Kylo saying, like, you'll be the one to turn mm-hmm. in his own vision. It's like he knows what – I don't know. He has a certain set of ideas of what will happen, and so does Rey. And it'll be super interesting in The Rise of Skywalker to see how both those ideas manifest into truth because they'll definitely – um, happen from a certain point of view, I guess. <laughs> a certain point of view. Indeed. <laughs> okay. Luke. Last thing we're going to talk about. Luke. Luke. A good place to end, I think. Because one of the one of the big shocks of the Vanity Fair article was, of course, this amazing picture of Luke Skywalker and R2-D2 in this, like, burning – foggy smoky setting mm-hmm. and we're all like what's going on and i gotta be honest i'm still asking the same question of what's going on but i kind of think that this is like flashback but like not flashback like we saw in the last jedi but rather kind of like ghost of christmas past or ghost of christmas feature like luke showing ray and kylo what happened back then but it's like him, like the force ghost of him, and he's like painting this picture, and we see it unfolding 
with Ray and Kylo as they do, and he's kind of like walking them through that space. It's not like us going back in time to see a flashback of Luke existing in that moment, if that makes sense. Um, and I and I I think I said this with our Vanity Fair episode, but I do think that this scene does is involved in our world between worlds type of place. What about you? Yeah, I do too. Just based off of the fact that he is not a bluey ghost, um, I think that it's just something different. Yeah. I don't know. I think that there is something world between worlds involved here. Even if it's not – I don't know if it's even Luke is like a active participant in showing this part of the past yeah. or if – Ray and Kylo are glimpsing at Luke watching, even though it is older Luke, so it's just confusing. What if, okay, so what if, what if it is them see, like, Ray and Kylo are basically interacting with a Luke from the past? That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying, okay. is that if they're, if they are interacting with a Luke from the past in the same way that Ezra interacted with an Ahsoka from the past, mm. could they change things could they i don't know because right i think about the scene as being the scene that uh, kylo burns the jedi temple and that seemed to have changed the entire course of everything so what are they observing at this point what can be changed i we don't have the answers to that but i do think it's something really interesting to think about where i don't necessarily know if luke needs to be like the father figure like the ghost of christmas future I don't. I don't know. Christmas future, Christmas past, would make more sense. Well, just the just the like the ghost that takes Scrooge through these. Places. Yes, um, I I think that Christmas past works a little bit better. That like you are looking upon this part of your life where uh, you things all changed. It just gets a little muddled because it's Luke in from like the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. He's not young Luke. Yeah. So it's it's just really confusing. It is. And if we're seeing like anything like those kinds of things that are kind of taken directly from World Between Worlds, you better believe I'm a pass out. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna have like an aneurysm. like otherworldly experience gonna, for watching this movie. We're gonna have our own World Between Worlds <laughs> experience. Honestly, which guys. What a trip if you, like, are like, I need some old Sky Talkers to listen to. You should go back and listen to our World Between Worlds episode because it's kind of hilarious. We are like, oh, my God. We were, like, free- freaking out. Free- like, it's crazy because we discussed how both of us had such, like, a physical reaction to World Between Worlds when we saw it. And we are like, I wonder if, like, something like this ever happened in the films if we would have the same kind of reaction. Because, like, when I tell you I freaked out the first time I watched World Between Worlds, like, I'm really – Screaming. Yeah. Like, screaming. I think my exact words were heaving, but yes. Uh (laughs) And how crazy would it be, like, if that actually is a part of the rise of Skywalker? Like, obviously, it'll look different and it'll operate differently, but, like, the foundation and the premise of it is built off of what we saw in Rebels. I just think, like, those were – that's, that's like – Arguably, that's some of our favorite Star Wars um, that's ever been created. I think that's safe to say. And to see, like, them really going – because we always talk about how animation is, like, always does crazy things with the Force. And they do, like, really imaginative things. And the Force bond was, like, crazy cool the first time we saw it. But imagining them taking it, like, a step further, this the same kind of way that we're like, oh, those things are really best explored in animation – and on, like, the small screen and, like, with more time, 
but to see it like on the big screen, I think, wow, that would just be so cool. I know. It really would be so great. And look to the animation department for the future Star Wars. What? (laughs) You heard me. (laughs) Look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. (laughs) Yep. Even, yeah. Anyway, it looks like that's where things are headed. And I think, you know, you look at these things and you try to think, oh, I'm one, I'm reading too much into this, or two, I'm just kind of making random connections. But I don't think we are. uh, Because these things. I don't think we are either, given the fact that Vader Immortal is something that's actively going on right now, that's playing with this idea of reviving death those who have passed on you know and it's also returning to this like revenge of the sith era it's just crazy how all of these things are kind of converging it's like in rebels like all paths are becoming one now Mm -hmm. it's crazy and rebels was made during the disney era as well so yeah Yeah. and rebels was developed essentially at the same time as the last jedi which is why you get a lot of recycled um designs really so you have to wonder what kind of conversations were happening at Lucasfilm then Ooh. that informed even the Rise of Skywalker. I hope that one day we can just have a roundtable of Dave, John, JJ, Ryan, Gareth, of them just all talking about Star Wars. And they're all like, Dave, you're so great. And we'll be like, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's the roundtable. <laughs> Agreed. I'd watch that. I'd watch that so many times. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, is there anything else you want to add about the teaser trailer? Dark Ray is amazing, and it's what us women fans need. Yes. So. I have three big takeaways. Number one, Dark Ray is the best. Number two, hands are language. And number three, look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. The only new one there really is Dark Ray Dark is the Ray. best. So. Yeah. And I mean, I guess four because like Ben Damshan, but – yeah. Pendemption's, again, not a new one. It's not a new one. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's funny. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. It's almost like all these things are just starting to make sense, you know? Yeah. Well, we've seen them for a while now. <laughs> 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 you got, you know, listen to women, man. There are a lot of great podcasts and women on Twitter and out there putting these pieces together it's almost like Han Solo said that in a movie or something. I think he did. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like the powers that be knew that women. It's almost like I put it in every single episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so. Women always figure out the truth. Yeah. Sound <laughs> <laughs> of him passing the gun. <laughs> yep. Always. Yeah. Anyway, listen to women. They've got great ideas about the sequel trilogy. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to wrap up this episode of Sky Talkers. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, give us your craziest crack theory about Red Eye C-3PO. Um, I'm, I'd actually be very interested to hear it. Uh, like I said, I think he's going to be the plot twist of 2019 for me. Anyway, so if you like what you hear, you can find us online. We're at skytalkers.com where you can listen to our Yoda series as well as our Hands Are Language series. You can also read my meta all on Kintsugi if you're interested on brushing up on your Japanese mythology and philosophy. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at Skytalkers Pod. 
Our personal handles are at Caitlin Plusher is mine or at Clarity is Charlotte's and we are on iTunes. We would love, 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 love if you took a minute to go and give us a review. It helps other people find our show and it just makes us really happy (laughs) on a daily basis. So please go and do that if you have a second to spare. We would really love it. And if you're interested in more content from us like uh, episode commentaries or bonus episodes on new and noteworthy things going on in the Star Wars universe, you might also be interested in joining our Patreon. Yes, absolutely. And I want to thank our amazing patrons, Jason, Bridget, Gina, Shelbo, Joey, James, Kathy, Gee, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Candice, Kristen, Ewan, Met Woid, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Bradley, Kimma, Jalea, Matthew, Jamin Jedi, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Ivor Bell, Kimberly, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Santara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lump of Aru, Patrick, James, Hammy, From a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Alaya, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Claire, Brad, Unspeakable, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabers Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.